0: Hello everyone,
1: a very good evening to one and all. Welcome everyone to our very own startup and career show and I'm Rishab Mehta tuning in from team backstage. Today we're going to have an interesting conversation on the startup ecosystem in India and for that we have Mr. Rishab Gill, an entrepreneur and startup mentor amongst us to share the startup scenario with all of us and he's here. Welcome to backstage Rishab. how are you?
2: All good, Rishab. Thank you so much for
1: having me. I hope uh, I am audible. Yes, loud and clear, Rishab. And as we speak, perfect. more and more students are joining in. No, we, we also have Shashank, uh, who's the soul behind Backstage. And Hi. he's joined us from New Jersey. Great.
0: Hey, Great. Rishabh. sir. Hey, <laughs> hey. Same here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good.
1: Thank you. Shashank.
2: Shashank. Shashank, whenever
1: you are addressing e- yeah. either your, either your addressing Rishabh or Rushab, I think you need to specify I or you. Right. Otherwise, there'll be some confusion. <laughs> I would <will> say sharp. <laughs> right. All right. So guys, uh, let me briefly talk about uh, Rishabh's ex- experience. He's an entrepreneur by Blood and founder of two companies in sports construction and education based out of Chennai and serving Pan-India. He's got over six years of experience in building businesses to eight-figure valuations and generating over $3 million in revenue. He's a startup mentor and works with National Entrepreneurship Network and many top incubators in India to augment various startups and SMEs to become sustainable, profitable, and high-growth organizations. Once again, Rishab, glad to have you on backstage today. I'm sure students are going to learn a lot listening to you.
2: Looking forward, looking forward, Rishabh. Yeah.
1: So let's begin, Rishabh. Uh, before right. we talk about the ecosystem in India, right. uh, I would request you if you could share your journey as a young entrepreneur. You founded two companies, so please, if you can talk about them first. Of course, right.
2: So, for the listeners uh, and the people who don't know me, of course, I am an entrepreneur and I like to call myself an entrepreneur by blood because the day that I found that this was a career option for me was the last day that I looked back and I've been on this journey ever since. So, I started my engineering in aerospace in my first year, which was uh, 2014. That was my first year. And I started my entrepreneurial journey in the second year. Uh, why did I start my entrepreneurial journey in the second year while I was doing my engineering? Because I realized that, okay, uh, aerospace, I'm not gonna be able to do this because aerodynamics, space orbitics was eight figure, sorry, eight uh, page, nine page derivations, which were you know way beyond what I could understand. So, one yeah, one more thing on the same uh, regard, of course, if you ever find me saying it's not as hard as rocket science, trust me, I know because I've studied rocket science. Anyway, so I started Aerospace, figured out that this wasn't something that I wanted to do. Meanwhile, I got in touch with a couple of my seniors in college who wanted me to take care of marketing for a relocation tech startup that they were starting. And uh, that's how it all started. I worked with them for about a year, year and a half, and then I realized, you know what, I want to build something of my own, I want to build a company, I want people who, whose livelihoods could depend on me, I want, you know, I, I want to generate some value uh, when as long as I'm here on earth for that matter. So we started with the education business, we grew this education business from one center within six months, we were in four centers in India. We tripled, quadrupled the number of students that we had, uh, and uh, then we started the sports, then I started the sports construction company, worked with, for those who follow football in India, worked with Chennai and SC, Chennai City FC, the I-League and Indian Super League teams in India, Mumbai FC as well, Bangalore SC as well, built some really good, beautiful FIFA standard grounds for them, and then uh, realized, okay, you know what, this, uh, I want to do something else as well, and moved into startup mentorship. And uh, that's what has happened so far in my life.
1: Wow. You you seem to be uh, sharing a rosé picture, Ishaf, but I'm sure it's not, you, know, you would have faced many failures and obstacles. Oh, yeah. So maybe right. you, could, you could talk about uh, yeah. them and the learnings that you got.
2: Of course. So uh, one of the best learnings that I've had was... Uh, with my sports construction business, so I'm not. I'll, I'll talk more about the sports construction business because it was a capex-heavy business. And uh, when I say capex-heavy, I mean capital expenditure is heavy, which basically means that you know uh, to run the business you need a lot of money. So our first project was somewhere around 50 lakh rupees, and I went in, did a meeting with my uh, with the with the company with the client. I'm not going to name the client, of course. But did a meeting with the client, and within one meeting, I had the project. So I was like, you oh, know, great. But we ended up losing about 15 to 18 lakh rupees on that project because when it came to the last, uh, when it came to the uh, last instalment of the of the of the project, the client didn't pay up. Simply didn't pay up. So the first and not not the first, but the biggest, the first biggest lesson that I learned, especially in entrepreneurship, is that how solid you need to be with the legalities and the terms that you put in front of your customers because not everyone's going to be as nice as you so that's of course one uh, another one another major one of course has been the pandemic i'm sure uh, we all have had uh, uh, shivam says that my voice is a little low shivam uh, sh- okay uh, rishab uh, is it is it the case uh,
1: no you're fully audible rishab uh, right. shivam maybe you could press a reset button and try it right. once
0: Rushab, so, you uh, want to uh, put yourself on mute and see? Like, will, will that help? Right. How about now? Uh, it's, it's, it's the same actually, but I can I can hear it. Right. it there's a little bit of background noise. Maybe that is. Uh, right. I don't know. Okay. There's some so static we'll there. Touch. Yeah. Yeah. How about now? It should be better. Oh yeah, yeah. much better oh, actually. Right.
2: So the second, as I was saying, the second biggest one was of course uh, 2020 pandemic, um, which I'm sure was, this, and was the was case with almost all of us. But yes, that, those were some pretty time ty- trying times. We had to uh, sell off a lot of assets in the company just to make sure that you know we could we could play pay our uh, not play, pay our employees in full, all the vendor payments go on time, so that because of us someone else's life doesn't get uh, you know doesn't get difficult basically. So the second one, of course, was uh, figuring out how do we mitigate the challenges of a economical halt <laughs> and keep running the business.
1: Oh, absolutely. Pandemic has been a challenge for almost right. everybody, right? I mean, there would, won't be a single person uh, who wouldn't right. have faced right. it. I agree right. on that. So, so uh, Rishabh, uh, you know, coming to the topic uh, that we have, right, right uh, and India being the third largest startup ecosystem okay. in the world, so can you talk about the landscape of the indian startup ecosystem since you are associated uh, with so many startups across the right, country of course. so maybe if you could uh, share on, on that
2: so the indian land the indian startup ecosystem the landscape of this beautiful ecosystem that we all have been basically trying to build uh, looks looks very healthy on a macro level uh, so if I have to talk about some elements over here, we have about 40,000 active startups in India. Now, all these elements come from uh, one of the studies, one of, one, of a promi- one of the prominent studies in the Indian startup ecosystem by Inc. 42. Uh, it's a media company. Uh, so we have about 40,000 active startups in India as of 2020 end. Uh, we have about 3,200 startups which are funded. Out of the forty thousand, out of the uh, out of all the you know uh, the three thousand two hundred three funded startups that we have, we have about sixty six unicorns in India. The Indian startup ecosystem, all the companies that have been funded, have raised over sixty three billion dollars in funds as of twenty twenty. Uh, the Indian startup ecosystem generates over five lakh jobs in India. We have about fifty seven hundred investors in India. Uh, on an average the indian startup ecosystem t- uh, sorry the an indian startup takes about 7 years to become a unicorn and then we have you know uh, our favorite companies over there in the unicorn club with byju's at about 16.5 billion with paytm about 16 billion with oyo at about 9.6 billion nika just entered the unicorn club at about uh, 13 billion dollars so you know on a macro level the, the picture is great All the numbers that I just talked about, you know, are set to grow at tremendous rates over the next five years. And uh, yes, it's all in all, I would say that it's a very healthy picture.
1: Interesting, uh, Rishabh, I think you shared some interesting statistics, right? Uh, And you mentioned uh, around 40,000 startups, right? Uh, Around 40,000 active startups in India and over 3,000 of them are funded, right? right? So I think there is a huge gap, uh, if you were to say, right, right uh, when it comes to funding. Hmm. Uh, and at the same time, the number of unicorns that you Correct. mentioned. So you mentioned around, it takes around seven, seven and a half years uh, for a company to get into the unicorn right. space. But uh, they're only about, say, 66 as exactly. of now. So what do you think broadly is the reason, uh, if you were to right.
2: say? Right. So, I mean, uh, you know, that's a very good point that you brought out, Rusha, because, you know, you focused on the, on the conversion rate from, let's say, a startup to a unicorn company i mean we are not even at we are not even at 1% on the conversion rate we are probably at about what 40000 divided by 66 is uh, 0.15% is our conversion rate to build unicorns uh, that to, which is a billion dollar startup basically now in my opinion why india has only about 66 unicorns as of today uh, which it's, it's going to add more but uh, there are many reasons behind it, I would say. It's, and the reasons are not necessarily focused on the lack of resources that we have or, you know, if we don't have the talent. I mean, those are not the points. Because if I just have to, you know, give an example for the, uh, uh, of this scale of, uh, you know, the talent and resources that we have, India had one of the best vaccine drives in COVID times, right? We, I mean, are, we uh, produced vaccine, Indian produced vaccines have been far more successful than other countries talking about russia's uh, sputnik of course so the point here isn't i don't think it's just about resources and talent and rushabh you also pointed out that you know india is among the is on the top it's it's top third uh, startup ecosystem in the world right now so it's not just about that i think for this discussion to go forward we'll probably have to move out from the macro level the stats that we just talked about, and move into the micro level. And when we move into the micro level, we find studies like uh, Oxford IBM studies, uh, which was done back in 2017. So IBM Institute for Business Value in Oxford did a study back in 2017, which said 90% of Indian startups fail in the first four to five years of operations. And then... You look at other studies, uh, for example, which was done by CB Insights back in 2019, I believe, which tries to figure out why is it that happens? Why is it that this happens? You know, 90% 90 of startups fail in the first four to five years. So when we look at similar studies, we find out that the reasons behind a startup's failure are very, you know, uh, very Uh, deep, for that matter, as I said, moving from a macro level to a micro level. So number one reason that IBM said was uh, why startups fail is lack of firing innovation. Number two is inadequacy in mentorship. Number three is flawed product market fits uh, and business models. And number four has been running out of cash. Now, uh, when we look at these, when we look at these top points, things become much more easier for us. The, the picture starts looking a little positive for us because now we know what exactly do we need to tackle but uh, to answer your question on why uh, india only has about 66 unicorns out of 40 40000 uh, countries in the world is because you know we are we are facing these deeper issues but one one start that i forgot to add was uh, as of 2020 we had about 33 unicorns in india but in 2021 we added 33 more so growing
1: yeah but it's probably at a slower pace than it should be so so uh, rishab i mean what you mentioned is interesting you you give four specific reasons right. right based on different studies and uh, would suggest if you can elaborate a little bit on on those four because those are very important things because the students who are listening us live right, right uh, it's very important that these are the broad reasons why startups fail exactly. and what they can learn right. from them
2: so I'll try to keep the explanation part, you know, as generalized as possible because, uh, you know, every type of a company uh, at the end of the day has different type of business models or, you know, have different unit economics or different financial models or the reasons behind their failure is different. But the four points which are sort of key or common between everyone, I'll try to answer the, you know, explain them in a general way as well. So. Uh, and I think I should, I should probably, uh, rather than just simply explaining more on those points, but uh, also, you know, preface them with the solutions of, of, those, of, of these points as well. How can a startup basically mitigate all of this? And uh, so when we talk about it, when we start talking about it, one of the things that I talked about was running out of cash. Now, there are many reasons for, behind a startup running out of cash. Now, when you look at a startup's definition by itself, what makes a startup a startup and what makes a business a normal business? A startup is growing, you know, right from day one, a startup is expected to grow at 10 times, uh, 20 times, 30 times the rate, which means you are chasing sales revenue targets are 1,000%, uh, you know, uh, user base targets are 1,000%, growing the revenues are at 1,000%. Now, one common f- factor over here is, you gotta make money to lose money. You gotta lose money to make money, right? And when we dive into this statement, in from the perspective of startups, the biggest problem that startups do nowadays that I have seen is uh, one of the biggest reasons why startups run out of cash, for that matter. To make it a little more specific, is because startup founders want to build or want to launch the best possible. Uh, the best possible version of their product just to start off with now two scenarios are going to plan out here either building your version of perfection or building you know the founder's version of protection the perfection is going to take too long and they run out of cash or a startup founder has built the perfect product they reach the market and find out that the market wasn't really looking for the startup's meaning of perfection so what has ended up happening is you spent your team uh, teams time your own money resources to build a version of the product that wasn't simply needed and the time spent in this you ran out of money now a solution to this could be uh, one of the theories that i follow by y combinator the accelerator uh, across the globe basically their md michael siebel has a very ingenious theory behind uh, how to solve this question of running out of cash basically it's called building lean mvps now for those who don't know what an mvp is basically an mvp is a minimum viable product in simple way in simple terms the first product the first version of a product that a startup sells to the market so building a lean mvp would mean that you know you are not spending too much time into building perfection you just get into the market as fast as possible. Now, if I have to give you an example of this, or you know, let me ask probably a question to all, or everyone who's listening, and everyone can answer it in their own minds. Do you remember when Google was launched? Do you remember what Apple's first product looked like? Do you remember what Facebook looked like when, the first, when they launched right on the day number one? Do you remember what YouTube, uh, when YouTube launched or when, what YouTube looked like when it was launched? So the point here is YouTube was a video editing platform. Twitch, for the gamers and uh, the listeners, uh, Twitch, the game game streaming platform, uh, was a website with a live stream of the CEO's room. Airbnb did not even have online payments in their first version of the MVP. So the point that this makes is that it doesn't matter even if you're launching a shitty product, which has a lot of bugs, doesn't work really well, but you launch and get to the market so that you can get the best feedback from the market, makes some money on the way, make sure that your idea connects with the market and you're basically not sitting ducks with, uh, you know, zero targets achieved.
1: So that's number
2: one. Uh, Number two would be, you know, flawed business model and no product market need. I can't tell you, Rishabh, uh, listeners, Shashank, how many times I've come across startup founders in my experience of mentoring startups where They build a product based on their perception of a customer's needs. A startup founder feels like a customer needs this and in that perception they build the product and what ends up happening is, of course, you screw up. No market need is one of the top uh, reasons for a startup's failure. Now, one thing that you can do over here is, of course, speak to the market, understand what the customers are trying to do, what they are facing, and then build a proper product around it. Flawed business model is another big reason. Uh, if I have to give you examples of it, OYO is a flawed business model. Uh, it's a CapEx-heavy business, uh, so much so that 40% of OYO's initial public offering is going to be focused on the uh, repayment of debt that the company has you know, uh, uh, built up in, in, in its years of operations and the investors exit. And then we have another flawed business models like Zomato and Swiggy, But the thing with flawed business models is they usually work out. Uh, we have examples like Oyo, Zomato, and Swiggy, but it becomes extremely hard for the business to sustain themselves and, you know, generate the perception of value over a long period of time. Uh, so don't build a flawed business model. And finally, the fourth one that I talked about, which was inadequate mentorship, you know, your you're just not able to understand where you're going wrong the top 3 reasons that we just talked about the three ones that i just talked about right now you you don't you're you're there before you know you are already in the in the red and by the time you realize that you've made a mistake it's 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 gone and uh, how can that be fixed by being mentored by proper industry experts who understand the ecosystem And one of the easiest ways that if any of you is, you know, uh, planning to start a startup in the near future or the distant future, one of the easiest ways that you can get this mentorship would be enrolling yourself in a good ecosystem. Now, when I say an ecosystem, I mean incubator, a proper incubator in India that is connected well in the mentorship ecosystem that can help you, you know, basically mitigate all those risks and challenges that we just talked about. So I, I hope that makes sense,
1: Rishabh. Oh, absolutely, Rishabh. And I think uh, the the point that you touched base at the last, right, uh, and I would want to pick up on that because and you yourself are associated with so many incubators across the country right. now. So can you share how incubators help startups and the role that they play? Right.
2: So incubators can be a blessing provided if you do it right. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, There will be incubators, so there are about 360 incubators in India. Uh, Some of them are really good, some of them will ask you money, give you an office space, and that's it. But the biggest problem with the startup founders is also that they all they are looking for from an incubator is a startup space, is an office space only, but they don't realize that an incubator can do so many wonders for you. So, for example, An incubator, if you get a good one, can connect you, number one, with the right mentors. Uh, It can also probably help you get your first set of customers or the resources that you uh, you need to build the operations, technology, the product or the service that you're trying to basically build. It can connect you with other startup founders in that ecosystem so that you can learn from their mistakes understand what went right for them, what did not went right for what did not go right for them. And one of the biggest reasons to joining an incubator would be finding an investor that can invest in your company, give you the money so that you you can run business and grow. So whether a venture capitalist or an angel investor, or it can help you find uh, grants. If I have to give you an example of this, uh, the last program that i ran with vadwani foundation and national entrepreneurship network i'm not going to name the uh, the startup founders or the startup itself or the incubator but i was mentoring a startup which is a social impact startup and more specifically into the environment uh, clean energy space so they are a part of this great bangalore based incubator in india and they just won Thanks to the incubator and the ecosystem that their incubator put them in, they just won the Earthshot prize of a million dollars, which is run by Prince Williams of the Royal Family of UK. So if you've been following the news, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And they have also Mm. been one of the winners for 100x uh, prize by Elon Musk. So yes, how can an incubator help you is your incubator can help you connect with anything and everything that you that your startup needs all under one roof you don't have to you know go out separately finding for things so basically an incubator gets a, becomes an aggregator for you for anything and everything that
0: a startup needs
1: wow i mean this is pretty awesome because it's like just not one thing about, right. right just not the office space or the funding exactly. it's the industry connects right exactly the industry so so Rishabh, moving on uh, you also mentioned initially there are uh, you know out of say around 40 odd thousand uh, startups in india only over 3000 of them uh, are funded yeah. and there are a little over 5000 investors mm-hmm. so and since you interact with so many investors as well so i just want to know what do you think investing in startups as an asset class in itself because if people invest in stock market mutual funds but is that is is the country evolving in that space where where hnis also start investing in startups and look at it as, as an asset class of course
2: of course so startups uh, okay so for startup to become a, for startups to become a mainstream asset class uh, it will take a lot of time especially in india it's already happening in the us we have you know kickstarters uh, where uh, we have uh, you know where you have so many individuals like you, me or everyone in the anyone or everyone who can, you know, start with the dollar as well and uh, help uh, businesses raise money together for startups to become get to that level in India, I think will take time. But there's a lot of potential here, especially from the H&I. So the 5,700 some investors that are there in India are a good mixture of uh, the venture capitalists and angel investors now angel investors are individuals who are putting their own money but venture capitalists are people who are running funds or basically investing other people's money into startups right so just to get that distinction clear but yes there is a lot of uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, opportunity over here uh, best example that i can give you is uh, naika became Naika doubled its investors' investment just on the IPO day itself. Uh, you know, uh, Naika's founder became far richer than Rakesh Jhunjhunwala just over a period of her last five to seven years of her building Naika than, you know, uh, the well-experienced Rakesh Jhunjhunwala in the uh, one of the wealthiest people in the in, in India and, you know, in the world as well. So yes, there's a lot of potential in startups, uh, especially from an investment perspective. But one thing to note over here would be that uh, every investor, although every investor is looking for making money, is every investor is looking for, you know, 10,000% uh, growth in their portfolio, but they are looking for different different types of startups of making money. So if you'd like, I, I can elaborate on that as well, Rishabh.
1: Well, I think that would, yeah, I think it's great if you can actually elaborate on it.
2: So what do I mean by that? All investors are in for the money, but some investors focus on certain aspects of the business. For example, there are industry-specific investors. If I have to give you an example, there's one of the top investment firms in India is called Espada Ventures, and Espada is a technology investor. Or SoftBank, if you know about SoftBank, one of the investors in Oyo, VWork, used to be yeah. a technology specific investor. So what does that mean? That there are investors who are either focused towards certain industries because you know probably their general partners, the people running the fund or the H and I Angel themselves have more experience in that. Or it could be, you know, they just like that particular industry or they think that that industry, that particular industry can go. But other than this industry specificity that some VCs and angels look for, uh, some startup investors are more focused towards the technology that the product is building and they don't really care about the business side of things. Some startup investors are more focused towards, you know, the business team should be good even if the technology is not that great, that's absolutely fine. Some startups are some startup investors are looking for healthy unit economics model of a of a business. Now uh, explaining unit economics is basically another uh, it could be a, a complete another session. but simply put unit economics is basically how much money does a company spend on acquiring one customer, on selling one product, on you know connecting with one vendor so wherever you're talking about single single units so some investors are more focused about uh, in you know the in the, you know, in the startup because having a very strong unit economics model mm-hmm. while some would be more focused towards the market opportunity that the startup is creating or the disruption that the startup is creating in the market so if at all you yourself in the future or any one of the listeners plan on going for an investment in the future uh it becomes much more easier for you to look for an investor if you understand the industry that you're in, if you understand exactly what are the things that you're good at, and then you go and pitch to investors who are looking for exactly that. So I hope that that makes a little bit of sense. But yes, at the end of the day, investors make money on the exits of the companies. Exits are of different forms. If you'd like, I can explain that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, uh, sorry, Shab, uh, right. you know, there are there are, uh, uh, I think, students who are already uh, raising their hands, and right. before before I get them on board, right? I have one last sure. question. Uh, you know, one is because you've done this uh, already. So, what does it take for a startup to become a billion dollar business?
2: Okay. So, the number one thing that is that takes for a startup to become a billion dollar business is the product market fit. Now, what does that mean? Simply put, you have built a product or a service and the market is looking for a product or a service. How much in line can you, you know, can you, how much can you align what your business and product is doing to what the market is looking for? If you get it right, if you get that fit correct, things become a lot more easier for you. You will not have a problem in getting the early uh, early traction uh, or, you know, selling the products, convincing customers. Having convincing your employees to stay in the company because that's hard as well. So that's number thing number one, for me at least. Number thing, uh, sorry, the the element success element number two would be a strong financial model, because at the end of the day, I would never want to build a company like Oyo, uh, where you know the 40 percent of the money that the company makes out of the IPO is gonna be focused towards repayment of debt. I mean, 40 percent of uh, a potential one ten thousand crore valuation, uh, more than that for that matter, but, uh, is going to be focused towards repayment of debt. What comes into the what comes into the uh, what's going to come? What is the value that that startup is creating in the industry? What's what wealth is going to be created by the investors, which invest in the public market? So you know you need to have a very strong financial and a business model. And number three thing would be. Uh, your grit your perseverance your passion because uh, if if you if you're not able to sustain yourself if you are not able to look past the downfalls that you have you'll never be able to do it because it, it you'll, you won't have the motivation to go through the hardships of forming a business that not only makes you money but runs you know uh, runs everyone's life who is associated with this a small a small point that i like to add to this and finish it off would be uh jeff bezos gets a lot of hate because of where he is but i think what ignore uh, what people ignore is or choose to ignore is the fact that there are lives connected with amazon right which there are people there are thousands of employees under amazon there are thousands of vendors that the Amazon, uh, that Amazon is helping run businesses, right? So it's not just about the money that you make, but it's also about every single life that you get connected with that basically makes money because of you. So you, you need passion to achieve that.
1: So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Rishabh. I think that is one of the most important right. things. So, uh, to all the listeners, guys, you can, can start raising hands and I'll make you the, and invite you to the speaker panel. In the meantime, Ashi, one of our listeners, uh, has mentioned, uh, has put down the question. Uh, Rishabh, he's, she says, What do you think about the involvement of government in the startup space? I think it needs to be done. It should be done
2: because I'll give you an example. Uh, for startups, government has a norm of uh, waiving of tax. If uh, if a startup has been has been uh, launched from I believe 2015 till this year or next year, which is a huge thing, because uh, at the end of the day, why you don't have all the money? A startup doesn't have all the money in the world, right? And paying tax over it becomes a huge liability for a startup, especially. So yes, government needs to intervene in the startup ecosystem, which it already has. To you know, facilitate people. Then again, there's another thing. Uh, government has all state governments and the central governments have so many portals for different sectors in India, where startups can directly uh, apply for tenders, government tenders, to facilitate procurement of materials to facilitate procurement of certain services which is again very important because it's very hard for startups to get that first set of customers right and that too for startups to get into government tenders a business needs to have you know certain qualifications for that matter which you know the government is already government of india is already helping so i'm happy but to answer your question, of course, the government needs to be, uh, to ask, answer Ashi's question, government needs to be very much involved in the startup ecosystem so that it can facilitate all of that.
1: Well, thanks for that, uh, Rishab. Anu has asked another question. Uh, she says, does bringing in investors limit implementation of risky ideas? How does one ensure that the investors have complete faith in the execution right, so
2: i'll answer the second question first and then the previous one uh if this if the investor is giving you the money that means that they have faith in your in your business right because they would never give you the money until and unless they think that you can do something about you can build something from that money so that's number one uh but uh how can you ensure that is of course and as I said, with the investor, uh, with the, when I was talking about the investors, it's understanding what is the investor looking for and aligning yourself with what the investor is looking for, right? So that would be one way to ensuring that, you know, investors get that complete faith in what you're doing. But one a good point for startups in India is that early stage investors are, are very understanding. I did not expect this to happen. Up until three years ago, I thought, you know, all investors are going to be brute-ass guys who are, uh, you know, who, who who just care about making money. But that's not the case. For especially early-stage startups, there are multiple VC firms that want to, that literally want to give money to potential startups. To answer your first question, which is, does bringing investors limit implementation of risky ideas? I don't think. That's number one. Uh, because... Once you're going for an investment, you'll understand a cheeky little thing that investors or bad investors like to use against uh, startup founders, which is called a term sheet. So once everything you approach, let's say you approach me, uh, Rishabh, to uh, invest in your business, after doing all the due diligence, understanding each and every single part of your business, I'll issue a term sheet. In that term sheet, I'll have, you know, many clauses it's usually a one page two page document many clauses uh, in you know in strictly speaking legal languages which you might not understand but once that term sheet is in your hand you can understand what exactly is the investor looking for uh, if they if they are trying to you know uh, if they are trying to basically cheat you in one way or the other so no investors uh, in uh, Implement bringing in investors does not limit your implementation of risky ideas, but uh, it does help if you understand what is it that the investor is looking
1: for basically interesting thanks thanks for this uh, Rishabh. Uh, Milan has another right. question, and he asks, do you think generating capital is more important than securing funding right What should one's mindset be right. like? so
2: mil i have another question i have a uh, re question for milan milan what do you mean generating capital via revenue i believe it's going to be revenue right
1: milan if you can either type in in the chat box or come to the speaker panel or yeah. in the meantime rishab maybe we can we can proceed right, right. Uh, so assuming that it's for based it's on revenue generation right, right.
0: Yeah, I think that that, uh, seems like that, like uh, revenue generation versus uh, uh, focus on raising funds. So
2: I think a startup should focus on raising uh, revenue, generating revenue. The best example that I can give you is my favorite startup in the entire globe, which is Zeroda. They are a unicorn. They are a $3 billion business with millions of users who use their platform and the services that they provide. They bootstrapped it. they bootstrap what does bootstrapping mean that you're using the the founder is using either their own money or recirculating the company's sales revenue back into the company to fund the business. So you know yeah, generating revenue is more important. Uh, majority of the time, one point that I should add is most investors are an investor is more likely to invest in a business. With some revenue generated than a business that has not generated any revenue. So uh, I hope that that answers your question, Milan.
1: True, right. true, very true, very true. It's like uh, you know, clients' money is better than exactly. having investors' right. money. <laughs> so Ayush has another question, and he's asking you, what are the kinds of books based on finance and money management that you would suggest students to read?
2: Right. So. Again, I'm not a finance person, so uh, and I'm not a money management guy in any form or the other, so I'm not going to talk about money management. But uh, there's a very good book uh, for understanding uh, finances, which is called, uh, I forgot the name of the book, which was uh, CFO Techniques. It's by Melinda Guzik. Uh, I think I'll have to check the author's name again, but it's a very good book that details properly right from start it's basically finance one-on-one apart from that money management again i am sorry i don't have any uh any books for
1: it okay yeah. okay so uh Risha, while we get few more questions uh you know since since we're talking about finance and all so uh funding is one of the major components right which uh, decides and you mentioned this in the earlier part as well right. so Uh, what do investors look for if you can just elaborate a little bit on that
2: so let's say let's take the scenario of the speakers over here i have a startup rushab you are one you are one investor and shashank is another investor now of course both of you are focused towards making you know tremendous amount of money you are let's say i'm asking you for a million dollars both of you are looking for that million to become a billion someday easily, right? But I may be, let's say, I may be from uh, an edtech company. Let's say Shashank has more experience in edtech and the fund or his own money, that whichever way it is, uh, Shashank would be more likely to invest in me because number one, Shashank understands what my business is, what my industry is. Rushab, you might be a technology investor. So maybe if I'm more leaning towards the tech part than the ed tech part, then the ed part of my education technology company, then you're more likely to invest in my business. But for me as a startup founder, what comes into picture is, okay, the, There are there are two investors who can invest in my company, but who do I go for? Number one thing that I would look for is, of course, which investor has a portfolio which is a little bit similar to mine that can help me connect with industry connects probably you know uh, a bigger distribution channel for that matter or you know basically you're not just giving me the money you're bringing in a lot of qualitative benefit to my startup as well so from a founder's perspective don't just look for money but look for qualitative benefits that that an investor is bringing on to you. And from an investor's perspective, they would be focused on building companies uh, or investing in companies that they, you know, that they prefer specific industries or specific parts of the business should stand out than others,
1: things like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So Rajat has another question, and he's asking you, what are the biggest risks involved while kicking off startup? Uh,
2: Well, not making enough money and uh, closing up shop would be the biggest risk. Now, if we do go deeper into this, of course, there's different aspects to it. As we already talked about, you might have built a product uh, that the customer doesn't want. More often than not, this is something that happens. uh, As we already talked about, right? Inadequate mentorship is a risk to the business. No product market fit is a risk to the business. Flawed business model is uh, is is a risk to the business. And running out of cash is a risk to business. So we already covered this. But one more thing that I'd add to it is, specifically on the product market fit, and I've seen this happen with so many Indian startups, about 10, 15 of them, that I've worked with in the past one year. Product market fit has another aspect to it. Product market fit basically starts with a customer problem fit. Basically, I am a customer and I have a problem. You are a founder, you've thought of that problem. Does our problem match? The problem that you as a founder have thought that I as a customer has, Does it make sense for me or not at the end of the day? So the customer's problem fit should make sense, which makes sense most of the time. But especially in an Indian landscape, the founders would have built the best product market, you know, product to fit that market's need. But at the end of the day, the Indian market is just so tough to penetrate into because the barriers of entry are so high that they just don't, you know, they are set in the old ways. They don't want to basically move into a new product or service. For example, uh, Ola. When Ola was starting out, they had a huge problem with making people move on to an application-based platform. Touchscreen smartphones had been in the had been in the Indian ecosystem for about five, seven years now, right? We were at probably. Uh, Android's ice cream or lollipop or something like that at that level. But people already knew how to use smartphones, but people were still not willing to just simply download an application and get a vehicle, a taxi, wherever they are, rather than they were fine with just calling up the guy, taxiwala, or the autowala, or standing on the road and waiting for the taxi. So, you know, there's multiple risks, but the better you understand what you're trying to do, the better you will be able to mitigate them.
1: True, true. Very well articulated, uh, Rishab. On this, uh, moving on, uh, Rishab, in, in your own experience as well, right? You've had some exits as well, successful ones. So, can you talk about the valuation of startups and they exist in the existing scenario? Right.
2: So that's a very good question uh, because <laughs> valuation is a huge, huge, uh, is a huge debate, especially in the business world right now. Now, let me let me start from the basic. What is the valuation of a company? Basically, what is the company worth? Now, when we're talking about a traditional business, valuation does is done in different ways. You know, there's an asset-based approach to where you basically, you know, do the you, where you basically go to a, a business and see how many asset that does that business had see what is the depreciation costs of those assets, basically the reduction in value of those assets. And then you figure out, okay, based on the assets that the company has, this is how much they are worth. Another way would be looking at the industry that they are in and the money that this company is generating. That is another approach. Another approach is discounted cash flow, which is one of the most common, which is DCS. Basically, you look at a business and you say, okay, this my business is making this much money. This business, let's say, made a million dollars in this year, in 2021. So based on this million dollars, based on the based on the growth rate that this company has, and because of the different processes that this company set, how much can they be worth? So you say, okay, you know what, 10 times, 20 million, you discount the cash flow over that period of time and you figure out okay it can be uh, worth 10 million or 20 million but how do you do that for a startup especially when a startup is at such an early age or is is at such an early stage uh, whether of not having the product ready or whether of not having enough customers reached to value them and uh, that is where th- this debate comes into picture. Does, is NICA really worth the money that it's worth? Is OYO or Paytm really worth the money that they are worth? So how you basically do it is you try to replicate the same models or approaches of valuation that I just talked about. And then you add a little bit of story to it as well. Now story can be, okay. This is the industry that they are in. This is the, you know, these are the different external factors that could play in. For example, Netflix, Geo Amazon Prime would not have worked out before, in India specifically, before Jio came. Because when Jio came, Jio in- disrupted the entire telecom market to bring down the prices. Earlier, what used to be 200 rupees uh, for 2 GBs per month is now... 1.5 GBs, 2 GBs a day for the same amount of money, right? So you look at different aspects and try to figure out if the company can reach where it says it can reach. So those are a little bit of things that you know come into play with valuation. But I don't think that, uh, last point over here is, I don't think that valuations are that important because at the end of the day, valuation is just a number of what it could be. It does in no way say that what the company is doing or worth right now, especially in the case of the startup
1: ecosystem in India right now. Oh, interesting uh, take, Rishabh, on this because now on that follow-up note, I would like to understand your take on these latest IPOs, be it Zomato, Nica, PTM right. or Policy Bazaar.
2: Right. So I'm not so sure about Policy Bazaar again. I, they, they haven't figured out the valuation of the company as of yet what it's going to be on the IPO so it's still in the process but whatever that number is I mean I would never pay uh, the per share price if I okay uh, let's take another example Uh, Paytm says that their uh, Paytm's valuation again I think is absurd why because look at it this way Paytm is a company which is not more than nine years old I believe uh, not even that, I think. And their per share price is set to be somewhere around 1,000 to 1,500 rupees. ITC, which is a company that has an annual turnover of about you know 3 lakh crores, 4 lakh crores, share prices in the range of about, I think, 150 or 250, some, somewhere in that range it fluctuates. Now, how do you justify that? A company which has, you know, which has been running for so long and uh, has concrete set in the market, is, is, that price that price is uh, very much lower than what a company which is just new. They are Paytm is still trying to figure out what sector do they want to get into. Up up until one year ago, Paytm did not even have, wasn't even worthy of calling itself a fintech company. Because UPI had just become redundant because government made it, uh, you know, government took the entire thing under themselves. So they were simply an e-commerce company. Wallets were not being used. And similarly, the case with a company like OYO, where, as I, you know, I probably made my feelings pretty clear about uh, OYO itself. I think NICA is a very good business because they have a solid business model. They are actually planning to disrupt an industry. They did not come. They did not come out on the into the market saying that we are doing something new. They're disrupting an existing markets with, you know, with high barriers of entry. So I would say that there are we have good companies in the Indian startup ecosystem going public, and we have bad companies as well. So yeah.
1: Wow, oh, interesting, Vishal. So we have uh, Sajan on our speaker panel. Uh, Sajan, please go ahead with your question. Thank you.
2: So, so, sir, what is your take on uh, managing a startup's cash flow and how is it different from the profit that a company receives from its business model? Okay, so it's very normal for a startup to not turn any profits in the first four to five years of its uh, business. But that doesn't mean that you're still not making money after the fifth year or the sixth year, right? So, as a startup it's absolutely fine if you're not making money or you know if you have higher burn rates because when i say burn rate i mean you're spending too much money to acquire customers to acquire the technology the bigger team that's absolutely normal but making sure that you're you're not overspending unnecessarily in any place now companies like wework have done this in the past and because of which Their valuation came out, came back from 47 billion to about 9 9 billion just in a span of three months when they were going for public, when they were going for an IPO and consulting firms were scrutinizing every single detail of the company. So the point is, you should be very much uh, strategic and efficient with the way that you spend money. If something can be done at a cheaper price, do it at a cheaper price. Making sure, of course, you know, the quality is good and all of that. But don't spend unnecessarily, basically, Sajan. I hope that answers your
0: question. Yes, thank you. Rishabh, I have a question for you. Uh question is about, you have always talked about uh, the product market fit. Right. What are the, some of the techniques uh, a founder uh, can actually use to know what is the product market fit and how to quickly get to that
2: right so let's talk about the product side and then we'll come to the market side when we talk about the product side one of the things that we talk about is a unique selling proposition basically what is that one thing that your business does now if you talk about any company whether whether tesla whether apple whether google whether uh, you know Take any company in the entire world, which is doing really well right now, they started off with doing one thing really, really well, which was their product. There was one product or service that was done really well, and then features were added. So number one thing to make sure that you nail your product market fit would be, of course, understanding what is that one thing that you can do really, really well. If I have to give you an example of it, if Paytm would have launched as an e-commerce business, it wouldn't have worked out. But they launched as an open-ended wallet that that you know that facilitated online transactions, fast online transactions, and then incorporated UPI as well, right? So make sure that you start with doing one thing really, really well. That is on the product side, but on the from a market's perspective, that product or the solution that your product or service is giving should be perfectly in line with what the customer is looking for. If it's if the if you've built a product or a solution to a problem, and the customer just doesn't really want that solution, it's not gonna work out, right? One tool that you can use to make sure that that fit comes into play is, uh, there's this management professor named James in at INSEAD France, which is one of the best business schools in the world. Uh, He has a toolkit called Customer Satisfaction Model. Now, what this basic this toolkit basically is, and it can although it's a customer satisfaction tool, but it works beautifully well when it comes to product market fit. What this tool is, it's a Venn diagram. The left side, the left circle, is what your company does basically your solution, and the right hand side is what the com, what the market's looking for, and where it intersects is the goldmine. So basically, if you are a startup or if you're planning to do a startup. Align as much as you can your solution with the cust- with what the customer is looking for, and that would be the first you know zero to one step to nailing a product market fit. I hope that you know gives a gives some insight into this, Mr. Shank.
0: Definitely.
1: Right. Well, uh, Rishab, I think uh, I had requested one hour of your time, right, uh, yeah. and we have a few minutes left, so I think we've spoken a lot on the Indian uh, startup ecosystem, right? Right. So, but with all this startup buzz going around, where does India stand on a global level?
2: Oh, India is doing, you know, really, really well on a global level. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, The Asian megatech IPOs are headed towards uh, about $1 trillion by 2025. And a considerable chunk of it, is held by India, and these are not just my numbers; these are numbers by the Startup Genome Project, which, which builds, which runs out the best global startup ecosystem report by far, in my opinion, uh, every year. Right. Uh, apart from that, we have large Indian companies like Vol- uh, like Flipkart, Paytm, and uh, Byju's. So uh, what, Flipkart at about 37 billion dollars, if I'm not wrong, Paytm about 16, which we already talked about. Byju's at 16.5, and uh, these are among the top, the biggest companies in the in the Asian ecosystem, and one of the biggest in the, of course, the global level as well. Uh, the startup ecosystem in India, Bangalore, Telangana. Uh, Kerala are growing at a tremendous rate. Bangalore startup ecosystem is valued at about $1.4 billion already. Uh, sorry, uh, at about uh, $53 billion and they've raised about $1.4 billion out of the uh, 63 that has been raised. Telangana is at about, I believe, uh the same lines but they build a beautiful ecosystem as well so all these different ecosystems in India namely again Bangalore, uh, Hyderabad and uh, some areas in Kerala are doing really really well and uh, on a global scale we are uh, if we if we keep going at the same pace we should be among the top really really soon Uh, we should be coming out with companies that are the biggest in the world and uh, not just in, from an Indian perspective, but from a
1: global perspective as well. So, yeah. Wow. Awesome. So, uh, Rishabh, before you leave, one last advice that you would want to give to the students who are listening us live right now. Right. So uh,
2: before that, I think Anshul is saying something. One of the important factors is running a startup oh, okay. is to find the right people. What do you think, are a few qualities that one should look for in people while building a team. That's a very good answer, Anshul. It's uh, a very very good answer because I was hoping that I'd get this question. Uh, sorry, it's a very good question because I was hoping that I would get this question because we talked about a lot of things. But who's going to make it possible? The people of the you know the people who are running the business, right? Uh, as I already said, passion is something that needs to get done. But sometimes a startup founder should. Uh, focus on on the ability of its employees of what they can do uh, than their passion or not. Because sometimes you just need to get things done in a startup, right? But having a long-term view helps because let's say you're building a technology. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're building a technology product, right? Uh, and uh, you have a technology person right now who can take you to let's say three versions of that product but your your product is going to look at 10 different versions you know the first version is going to be nowhere close to what the 10th version is is this person capable of building the 10th version or not if they are not then maybe you don't give them an equity in the company so that you know they build the third they build the best that they can and they leave the company and then you hire the next one or you select a person who's capable of taking the startup to a level where you hope it would reach someday. So that would be one
0: advice.
1: Interesting, Rishab. Wow. Right. And I think is there any? I think we've covered everything, right? I mean, I, I because think I was so. just going through the chat. I don't know if I missed any other question.
2: No, no, I don't think we missed anything. We've covered everything. Yes.
1: All right. So I think Rishab, it was. Great, great speaking to you, and you I'm so sure uh, it was wonderful listening, uh, you know, to you live and even the ones who listen to you on the podcast later. But I think right. lots and lots of insights. Thank you for your time. Lovely having you here on Backstage.
2: Thank you so much for having me, both of you, Rushab and Shashank. I I appreciate, and I of course appreciate each and every single one of you listeners for uh, you know giving me your time, giving me your attention, and I hope that I helped in one way or the other. In the one hour
0: that we spoke. Definitely, uh, uh, Rishabh. uh, It was a pleasure to have you here. And uh, I think uh, I learned a lot here today. Perfect. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Signing off for now. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.